Well, thanks to all of you. That's very kind of you to, to give us a box of secret treasures. That's a little bit frightening, but it's definitely very precious to us. So we appreciate that very much. And um, to, to get a congregation of Presbyterians to stand and clap in the middle of the church is, is pretty, it's pretty important. And so I exhort you to continue with your, your Pentecostal ways. Um, yeah, amen. Amen. In 2007, when I had just been installed as assistant pastor here, the first sermon that I preached was from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And today, we get to be in Revelation 21. And in between those two, along with five pastor colleagues, including, of course, Alex and Noah, we have ranged throughout all of the scriptures in these 15 years that I've been around. And no doubt you will continue to do that as a church. Um, several hundred of those sermons, as far as I can count, have been from me. And so I have to say that you all have pulled the magic trick of getting more words out of me than my parents ever did. And that's something. Uh, it doesn't really matter to you so much, but it's a fun privilege to me to book in my time here with Genesis at the beginning and Revelation at the end. Um, so that's a big deal to me. Haggai, the prophet, we've spent time with during the Advent season, and he spoke and preached his little sermons to God's people, anticipating the building of the second temple some five centuries before the coming of Christ. And he was anticipating, of course, the greater temple that would come, the Son of God and the incarnation of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Advent, of course, but there is a coming yet to come. And it's this that the Apostle John sees in Revelation 21. And so you young Christians, I know there are more of you younger ones here this morning with us, but listen carefully as I read this and see if you can picture in your imagination what it is that John is seeing in this vision. Revelation 20, uh, 21, beginning in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the, last, the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with, its, with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. And he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the 
the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these are the words of our God, and they will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, this is a, an amazing vision that you've given to your apostle and recorded in your scriptures for us, and um, we pray that you would give us your spirit, move in us and grow us in grace, grow us in knowledge and understanding of you, that we might honor you and praise you even more as we see what it is that's yet to come. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Last summer, Brennan Gilmore saw an opportunity. Brennan is a, a proud graduate of the University of Virginia, and he is a novice astrophotographer. That means that he takes pictures of outer space with his feet planted firmly on the earth. And inspired by an astronomy class that he had taken as an undergrad, he had begun to study nebulas, those cosmic clouds of dust and gas, which when taken in visually appear to be a swirl of rainbow in the night sky. And as he studied nebulas, he discovered that a certain pair of them, the heart nebula and the soul nebula, would, because of Earth's orientation, be situated just beyond the dome of the historic rotunda on the campus of, of Thomas Jefferson's University for a few nights this past July. And so he began to plan for the photo op of a lifetime. The heart and soul nebulas are some 6,000 light years away from Earth. And that means a couple of things, at least. For one, it means that you cannot see them with the naked eye. Apart from some pretty serious equipment to look through, you can't see them. The second thing that it means is if you do have that equipment and you do see them, what you're seeing is what they looked like 6,000 years ago because of the distance that it takes to travel that light from there to here. So when the time arrived this past summer, Gilmore took his considerable photographic and telescopic equipment out to the fabled lawn that stretches out from the 200-year-old rotunda on that campus, and he aimed his telescopic camera at the rotunda, that iconic building, just as thousands of people do every year to take a picture of it, and yet his intent was so much more. His intent was to see beyond that rotunda, to see beyond it, to reach past that cherished and esteemed building and gaze into the distance to gather in the beauty of what was yet far, far away and 
This is exactly what he did. Over the course of four hours that night, he took 124 images from far to near and stacked them together to form one composite photo of the lighted rotunda that night below with the vast colorful nebulas above for a -a one-of-a-kind portrayal of an iconic structure that is not nearly so impressive as what lies beyond it. Now, this is exactly what you're seeing in Revelation chapter 21. Here, the angel came to John and invited him to gaze into the divine astrophotography equipment, as it were. And that angel aimed it straight at the temple, or at least at John's memory of what the temple had been before the Romans destroyed it. And instructed John to take a look. And what John saw beyond the temple was astonishing. What John saw beyond the temple was far more impressive than that iconic structure that Israel had long revered. What John saw beyond the temple was the coming of the kingdom of God. And in this vision, I would suggest a few angles that the angel offers to us to see. What do you see here? Well, for one, you see the church of the living God. So the scripture gives us a mixed metaphor here, of course. The angel invites John to come and see the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then the angel carries him away to a high mountain and shows him a city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, the Bible is assuming at this point, that you have read what has come before. The Bible is assuming that you know that this that you're seeing is the church. The bride of Christ is the church, as Paul has explained in Ephesians so clearly, and the rest of Scripture has hinted at for millennia before. And so what you're seeing is the the church, the bride of Christ. You're seeing the holy temple of God. But, But look closer at verse 15. Because Revelation requires, as you read it, that you read with a certain pair of lenses on. Not your science fiction lenses, and not your pop culture lenses, but rather your Old Testament lenses. Because there's so much Old Testament imagery throughout the book of Revelation. And here it is in verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. John is probably at this point thinking back to Ezekiel chapter 40 where the same sort of thing happened in the Old Testament. And John is surely wondering, okay, what's this measuring angel going to do? What is this city like? Well, the measuring rod tells you its length and its its width and its height are equal. And so for you geometrically minded among us, you know what that means. It's a cube, right? And verse 18, it was pure gold, clear as glass. Now, this is perfect material for a Marvel movie, isn't it? I mean, this is what you'd expect to see coming down out of heaven when the good guys are beating the bad guys. Unless you're wearing your Old Testament lenses. Then you're seeing something else. You're seeing 1 Kings chapter 6, which is where King Solomon was building the house of the Lord, the temple of God in Jerusalem, according to instructions. And those instructions were these... The inner sanctuary he prepared to set there the Ark of the Covenant. That is, that rectangular box of gold that carried the the tablets of the law. 
And that box was the very presence of God among his people. That ark would be placed in this inner sanctuary. And the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long by 20 cubits wide and 20 cubits high. It was a cube. And Solomon overlaid it with pure gold. Now, a wise theologian once said that the New Testament is in the old concealed. And the Old Testament is in the new revealed. The New Testament is in the old concealed. And the New Testament is in the old revealed. Here's an example of it right here. The New Testament portrayal of the heavenly city is concealed in that Old Testament picture of the inner sanctuary that Solomon built. And at the same time, the Old Testament meaning of that inner sanctuary is revealed in this New Testament picture of the heavenly city. This city, this new Jerusalem, is not so much where God's people will live. This is not a, an imaginary drawing of an architectural rendering of what a future condominium complex is going to look like in heaven. That's not the point. This is not so much where God's people will live. This is what God's people are. His dwelling place. He lives here. And it's vast too, isn't it? 12,000 stadia length by width by height. Now a stadia is exactly what it sounds like to you. A stadium. It's the length of a stadium. And they would have been thinking, of course, of something like the Roman Colosseum. Our stadiums are a little bit bigger nowadays, I guess, but still big in that time. And your Bible, your print Bible, might tell you in a text note down below that this translates to about 1,380 miles of length. Length by width by height. And that's interesting, but it's kind of distracting because it's really beside the point. The point is 12 times 1,000. That's what matters here. 12, the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And 12, the, the apostles of Jesus in the New Testament. And 1,000. It just means there are a lot of them. What you see here is the dwelling place of God. What you see here is the union of Yahweh with his people. What you see here is the church of the living God as it is and as it will be even more when Jesus comes back. But in this imagery, you also see the strength of the loving God. Verse 25, its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. In other words, it's always open. It's always open. There will be no night there. Now, personally, I hope that that's just imagery because I think the night's pretty cool. You can see some cool stuff at night. I think it's imagery. What, what, it's, what it's communicating to you is that by the strength of the loving God, there are no threats in this place. I mean, after all, this city had a great high wall, verse 12. And city walls, of course, were common imagery in the ancient world because strong city walls were strength against invaders, strength against threats. And this particular wall measured 144 cubits, we're told. This is probably referring to its thickness. And again, your, your text note at the Bible, your bottom of your print Bible probably tells you, you know, some measurement there, 
human measurement that would translate to like 200 plus feet thick, and that would be a thick wall. But again, it's, it's kind of a distraction because, I mean, the, the scripture tells you that this is an angel's measurement, which probably is a hint to us to keep your mathematical hands off and don't be too distracted by this. The point is that God's strength is not in the thickness of the wall. His strength is in the 12s. 12 times 12 is 144 today as it was in ancient days. And there are 12 tribes of the Old Testament, 12 apostles of the New. Once again, the strength of this city is in her heritage. She is the covenant people of Yahweh, bound to him by his own faithfulness to them. And nothing unclean will ever enter it but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And notice where they enter. Remember, the strength of the loving God is in the twelves that are shown here. And verse 12, in that great high wall, there were twelve gates secured by twelve angels. On the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Now, some of the names of those twelve tribes You know, some of them are more famous than others. We've read through some of them in past months through Genesis. You know Judah. Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. But you heard Judah's story some weeks back. Judah was an unjust father-in-law. He treated his daughter-in-law horribly. Horribly. That's Judah. And Joseph would be among these as well. Joseph was, of course, the favored son of Jacob, Israel, and He wore that fancy robe. And as godly a man as Joseph proved himself to be in his earlier days, he was reckless. Probably a bit selfish, sharing dreams with his brothers that elevated him above them. That was Joseph. And there, of course, are others among these 12 that you you don't, you've heard their names maybe, but you have no idea who they are. Gad, Issachar, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. I mean, These are relative nobodies on the scales of history. And yet, here are their names over the gates of the heavenly city. And then, how about the foundations? Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Again, some famous names, Peter and John. But others are just kind of nobodies to most of us. Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon. Not Peter, but the other Simon. And um, James, not the brother of John, but the other James, who you don't know. I mean, that's the apostles. All of them gave their lives for the gospel, ultimately, but most of them to no acclaim at all. And yet here are their names holding up the foundations of God's people. Why? Well, because there's another 12 that matters here. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then it lists out 12 fine stones of a whole variety of colors, red and green and blue and yellow and purple. Now, your Old Testament lenses, again, would see something here. They would see another Old Testament illusion. Back in Exodus 28, the the description of the garments that the high priest would wear in his service before God for the people. And that high priest would wear a breastplate of gold, a square gold breastplate. 
as part of his, his ensemble. And on that breastplate, 12 fine stones were set in it, each with the name of the tribes of Israel. And where did that high priest go when he was wearing that breastplate? Into the most holy place, into the very presence of God, which was, and let's be honest, remains a place where nobody who had not the glory of God could ever go. He carried the people of God into the presence of God because their names were on that breastplate, on those stones. So your strength is not in your worldly accolades. And your strength is not in whether you are somebody or nobody. But rather your strength is in your heavenly Father's acceptance of you in Jesus Christ, the high priest. Your strength is not in whether the world knows your name because your loving heavenly Father knows your name. In his presence, no threat can come. In his presence, no darkness can rule. In his presence, you will be perfectly at home because you are by faith in Christ. So beyond the temple, you see the church of the living God as it will be when Jesus comes back. And beyond the temple, you see the strength of the loving God. But beyond the temple, you also see the glory of the creative God. Verse 23 and following. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Now sometimes you feel like the world is small. We all have had small world experiences. One of you told me even just this past week that you had traveled through the airport in London on your way back to the States, and there at the gate was one of your old neighbors from Dallas. Mary and I have, have once bumped into some friends at Central Park in New York City, and neither of us lived anywhere near there. When I was in high school, I can remember crossing paths with a friend's sister at the Sistine Chapel in Rome, the one time I've ever been there in my life. Sometimes the world seems small. But it seems to me that nowadays it is anything but small. I mean, sure, you can connect and communicate with people by way of, of Zoom face-to-face -face around the world, and that's pretty cool, you know, most of the time. But the fractures among people and among peoples are so deep. And the differences between tribes of people, I mean, let's be honest, we're all part of a tribe somewhere along the way. The differences between them are emphasized with everything that you see in our society. And the suspicions run rampant. And if you pay any attention at all to all of these things, then your discouragement probably is quick. I know mine is. But if you see beyond the temple, if you see beyond the temple, what you see is that the glory of God is what actually gives light. That the Lamb of God shines bright. That the, the substance, the weight of God himself, and, and again, let's be honest, there is no weight apart from God. The substance, the weight of God himself is the light by which the nations walk. 
Now this is, of course, you know this, this is no American message. And this is no English speaker's message. It's a universal message that the gates of heaven are open to all who come in the name of Christ, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their intelligence, regardless of their significance in the eyes of the world, and regardless of any sense of influence that they might have over the people around them. And all that is truly good and beautiful will reappear there. All of God's creative work will be known there. Because all of God's people will be there from every tribe and from every people and every nation and every language for the glory of the creative God is what you see if you can see beyond the temple. My prayer for you, New St. Peter's, and for me and my Peter's family is that we all will always have eyes to see beyond the temple, to see beyond the body of Christ in its good and its bad, to see the church of the living God as God sees it, as God is shaping it to be, and as it will be when Jesus comes back, to, to see the strength of the loving God and to rest in that strength, to rest in the righteousness of Jesus because it is strong, and to see the glory of the creative God because God is the one who creates, and you in Christ are a new creation. May this be what God gives to us all to see. In the name of Jesus, amen. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have given us your beautiful word that is remarkable and creative itself and faithful and strong. And we pray that you would persuade us of it, that you would teach us from it, that you would shape us by it, all of us. We pray that you would make us to grow in grace and faithfulness to you, even as we see that you are faithful to us throughout the ages. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.